Good morning. Wow, let's just, I'm unimpressed with that, so let's, <laughs> good morning. Yeah, that's, that's, there we, oh, like an echo over on the other side over there. All right, um, so today is a really good day. It's a big day, it's an important day, and it's sort of, uh, in one way, it's a culmination of something, and in another way, it's a brand new day for something. Um, about a year ago, and actually starts even before that, but approximately a year ago, um, one of my, um, my friends, one of my pastors, one of the guys who helped build this house, he and his wife, Emily, uh, came to Chris and I and just said, hey, the Lord has put in our heart to plant a church. And uh, caught me, quite honestly, a little by surprise simply because um, I didn't want to lose them. I love them, and finding good people is really hard to do. That's just the way that it is. But I did know. They had told me years ago, um, at some point, Pastor, we want to do what you've done, and we want to plant a church. And so I knew at some point it was coming. The way they did it was, um, I, I highlight this because I think it's praiseworthy. Instead of coming and telling me what they were doing, they came to Chris and I, and they said, here's what's in our heart. Would you help us? Is it okay with you? Is it a good time for you? They really submitted it to us like we were their pastors, not like suddenly we were on opposite sides of a team. That's what they did. And then through the process, through the church plant, through the whole, the whole deal, uh, man, they've just done it the right way. Um, am I just up here blabbing right now like I'm, you know, I'm behind it or am I really behind it? Here's what we, you and I, have done for Evan and Emily since they announced they want to plant a church. They left um, in the fall last year to begin the process. We've paid their salary the entire time they've been gone so that he didn't have to go get a job. We wanted them to be able to put their full-time attention to getting this church off the ground and going. When Evan um, and Emily had decided to plant the church, my question was, where are you going to do this, Ev? And he said, we're praying about where to move to. And I said, you don't need to move. This is your city. You have your children in school here. We have 2 million people metro-wide, and maybe the church is reaching 15 20% on a weekend. My friend, there is plenty of room for churches in our city. Please stay here, Evan. You don't need to go anyplace. And then I said to him this. I said, Ev, um, you have pastored. You and Emily have done a really good job at the Lakewood campus. People love you and they see you as their pastor. So when you announce this, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have some people come and say to you, we want to help you. And I said, one of the ways you're going to know this is God is when people come and say to you, we want to help you. And I said, so if anybody comes to you and says, we want to go, I want you to tell them it's okay. Pastor John says it's okay. You can come with us and you can be a part of our church. It's fine. Now, I hate losing people. Don't get me wrong. But it's not about JFC. Look at me. It's about the kingdom of God, yes or no. And if the kingdom does good, then we do good. And if the kingdom shrinks, then we shrink. And in a way, what I'm trying to do and what my statement is to Evan and Emily and to the kingdom of God at large simply is this. We want to push back darkness and we want to encourage God's light in our community, man. And so we can talk about that, we can say we do that, or we can stand up and do something about it. So you have a really good opportunity today. This is Evan's, um, this is his weekend before they launched their church, and I asked him would he come back and would he talk to you. I want him to talk a little bit about his church. I want him to, uh, to teach. He's a great teacher. But more than anything else, uh, this isn't Evan's swan song, and now we head off to do two different things. Now we're going to lock arms greater than we ever have. And we're going to help them in the process of, um, of making it difficult from the people 
uh, in Denver to go to hell. How about that? That's, yeah, we can cheer that right there. Let's make it difficult. They can go if they want to, okay? But let's make it as hard. Let's say they have to go around us to get there. How about that right there? And so uh, Ev's going to share. When I come back, here's what I'm going to do. I want to receive an offering for them today. I want to help them. Church, we have a chance to do something really good today. Look at me. We have a chance to do something really good today. Let's do good by a new church that's going to be planted in our city that's going to bring a lot of people to Jesus, all right? Do me a favor, put your hands together and welcome my friend, Evan Martin. I think I would be remiss if I didn't say what we all know, but maybe don't say enough is that we have the greatest pastor in the world. And we, we know that through his teaching and his presence in here and what he's been able to do in this city. But from the perspective that I have gained over the last four and a half months walking this journey, I know this, that we not only have the best pastor, but we have a pastor who is bold, who is courageous, and who is willing to put himself out there to tear heaven open so, like he said, it would be difficult for people to choose darkness instead of the light, right? So, Pastor John, thank you for this opportunity. Love you. The words that we've exchanged in private over last night and today and text and phone calls, I wish that everyone had the relationship that you and I have. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I've been on this journey. I have grown up in Denver, and I had the best job in the world. Working for Pastor John, being a campus pastor at the Lakewood location, if you knew what I was walking away from, you would say that I am crazy. You'd probably put your arm around my wife and just shake your head. <laughs> Because this is a phenomenal church to work for and in. But as I've learned over the last four and a half months, it's the best church to have your back in this process, going missionally into a city that is in desperate need for life-giving churches like this. I grew up attending a church in the Cherry Creek area, by the mall, kind of university and Alameda area, great church. And, and over the course of a few conversations, and I believe God divined appointments, God started stirring something in my heart, and I realized that there was an area near that same location that doesn't have a life-giving church. I spent some time before becoming a pastor working for a missions organization, and we focused on unreached villages in Ethiopia. We planted pastors there that, that would build churches with the effort and the intention of once their church was established to reach the next unreached village over with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this process of me submitting to Pastor John and Pastor Chris and legitimately saying, I want God to show you where we should go. I said, I said John, I'm, I'm waiting for God to wake you up with a dream. And if he says Albuquerque or Detroit or somewhere like that, then we're going to pack up and go. And 
he eventually, Pastor John said, you know, I think rather than God waking him up with a dream, he's going to put something on your heart that you just can't shake. And over the course of those several weeks and those conversations, I realized that there's a tiny city that's actually surrounded by Denver. It's called Glendale. And it has no specific church reaching into that densely populated little tiny city. And some of you who have been in Denver for a while know that Glendale was not a great place to be several years ago. But over the last decade or so, it's really flipped and turned around and it now um, competes with the Cherry Creek North area. And it is a place where people gather. It's a, it's a place where People live and do business, but it's not a place where they can easily find a life-giving church. And so I submitted that to Pastor John, and he said yes, and we both believe that God said yes as well. And so next week, Colorado Church is going to launch in that area. Miracle number one on this miraculous journey is this. We were looking for locations, and inside of Denver, it's difficult to find a location or even a friend that would nod their head and say, sure, come and use this building or this space or whatever. We looked in schools and schools started making up excuses as to why they wouldn't have a church in there. It was a difficult journey. There was one uh, possibility and then that didn't work out. There was another possibility and that didn't work out. And finally, I went back to an elementary school that is closest to that area. If I could have drawn a circle around the pin on the map, it would have been exactly where we wanted. And over the course of this, Denver Public Schools said yes to a church in an elementary school right in that location on Exposition, uh, right near Colorado Boulevard, right near Glendale. And so we are sending out mass mailers to invite that community to come and gather with us next Sunday and the preceding Sundays after that. So once that school said, yes, here's the reality. Now we're a church that has to load in and load out, right? So we need stuff and volunteers and where are you going to put the stuff? Well, you're going to need a trailer. So I became an expert on trailers, <laughs> Craigslist and online and all of this stuff. And I narrowed it down to a trailer that I was like, okay, this, is, this has got to be it. And, and you know, you want to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in all of this. Um, but you also want to become an expert in what you're trying to do. And so I drove all the way out past Elizabeth <laughs> to look at this guy's trailer and I got there and I was like, wow, this is it. This is perfect condition. This is, this is great. And I talked to the guy and I said, if I can get a vehicle to come pull this trailer, then in the next couple of days, I'll come and, I'll come and pay for this and, and uh, pick it up from you. And he goes, all right, but you'll understand if I keep it on Craigslist. I said, for sure, absolutely. Talked to a couple of people. I said, man, I, I think we got the trailer. This is gonna be great. This is the first step in the process. The next morning, the first thing on my phone was a text from somebody who attends Freedom Fellowship. Freedom Fellowship is a church that was in a, a school location here in Highlands Ranch who moved into the storefront that Jubilee Fellowship Church was in at County Line and Broadway. The text said this, I don't know if you know this, but we are a part of Freedom Fellowship Church and we just moved into a permanent location. 
And we were wondering if you would be interested in a trailer that we have that has mobile church equipment in it. I quickly texted back, I almost bought a trailer last night. I'll be over there this afternoon to look at this trailer. I walked in, I drove over to the parking lot. Get this, it's the same parking lot where Emily and I parked our purple blazer that worked sometimes and other times it didn't work. Where I was invited by Pastor John and Chris to be a youth pastor. The man who opened up the door to ministry for my life, that was the location that I got a start in because somebody took a risk on me. Believe me, when I pulled into that parking lot, all of those memories, youth games in that parking lot, the trailer was parked right where I used to park. The miracle was parked right where I could identify with it. And I talked to the pastor and he opened up the trailer, showed me all the stuff. It was more stuff than what I even realized was in it. And I could not, could not believe it. That was one miracle. Another miracle, I got a text from somebody. He said, hey, have you bought all the equipment, like a soundboard and lights? You know, I'm becoming an expert in trailers. And now I need to become an expert in sound and light and all these things that you don't think about when you just stand up on stage, right? That's for all those guys that help us out. I got a text, said, hey, have you purchased all of your equipment for your sanctuary? I said, no, no way. Like I haven't even like started that process, desperate for somebody to help guide me through it. He goes, well, Christmas is coming early for you. He said, we're going to give you all of our stuff, and it's only a year old. $70,000 worth of stuff to fill that trailer, right? Absolute miracle. There's so many miracles that now my phrase is this when I share a cup of coffee with somebody. I say, if I were to write all these things down and put them in a book and hand it to a librarian, the librarian would take it straight to the fiction section, (laughs) Isn't that the kind of life that you want to live inside of is where you wake up expecting a miracle? I'll tell you one secret I've realized is when you start labeling things as miracles, you start realizing that you actually have more miracles in your life than what you were aware of. So I want to thank you guys for expanding the kingdom of heaven in this state, in this city and for allowing me to share this season with you. And I look for our relationship to continue because one of the first things I said to Pastor John as we submitted to him and his wisdom, I said, John, I can't wait until one day when you come to the congregation that I'm leading and pastoring people who are yet to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I'll get to stand on a stage and introduce to them my pastor. And he'll come and share his message to those people. But before we waste any more time on that, I wanna tell you about in this message, I got this message in my study at home. I was reading my Bible Um, several weeks ago, and I just opened up to where I had left off, and I love the Bible. I love it. I cannot believe. 
you know, it's, it's preached out of every single day in every country of the world, and we've never gotten to a point of exhaustion. We've never gotten to a point where it's like, yep, yeah, heard that, seen that, all that. You, you guys realize you could read it, you could read it 10 different times, each passage, each section, and get 10 totally different truths out of it that'll sustain you for that each and every day. And I opened up the Bible that day. I started reading where I left off. I read two words. And I was just like, oh. I put the Bible down, pulled out my journal, which I've seen Pastor John do, and write down what I felt like God was saying. And I just wanted to share that with you guys in this context. So it's in your notes. It's Matthew 3, verse 13. Let me read to you this verse, and then I'll point out those two words. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. The two words I read that I stopped at, then Jesus. And I thought it would be appropriate for me to actually read from my journal what I wrote down. Then Jesus. What if those two words marked your life? I once was then Jesus. I used to, then Jesus. Maybe someone would say they came to church today ready to give up, then Jesus. Give up on what God had called them to, give up on a marriage, give up on praying for a loved one, give up on a difficult path of righteousness in an unrighteous world. Maybe someone decided to give God one more chance, then Jesus. What if then Jesus marked our lives in such a way that we couldn't hold it in, couldn't continue to live like we were used to? What is the then Jesus story of our life? And what if it had power to become the then Jesus story over someone else's life? What if someone had become so dependent on alcohol to fill a void in their heart that they realized that they couldn't get out of it anymore on their own. Then Jesus. What if someone stumbled into pornography and into the darkness of this world and felt lonely and desperate and lost? Then Jesus pulled them out of it. What if Jesus really does have the power to affect our life in a way that allows us to affect somebody else's life. So let's put this verse into scriptural context. These other two passages are in your notes. One is in Mark, same story, different book of the Bible. Mark chapter one, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. And then in Matthew, the same book that we read the first verse out of, going backwards in that same chapter, Matthew writes, Then people came from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan. They were flocking to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. That's the scriptural context. Let me give you briefly the historical context. 
This is the chosen people of God. They're the Hebrews living in the promised land. They've returned to the promised land after living in exile. Their ancestors lived in exile. You remember the 10 northern tribes were taken away by Assyria. They were dispersed, really never to be heard from again. And then Judea, years later, they were conquered by Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. They were taken as captives all the way over to Babylon. They lived in captivity until Persia captured and conquered Babylon. And then King Cyrus of Persia wrote a decree to let the Jews go back to their nation, their promised land. That's where we get the story of Ezra, Nehemiah. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the walls of their city. During this time, the Persian Empire was failing and the Greek Empire was rising. Alexander the Great was conquering the known world. And Greece came into that area. And Israel wasn't really powerful enough to establish themselves. They were living in peace, but Greece basically took over that whole area. And then Alexander the Great, he died and his kingdom was divided into four sections. And they kind of had these civil wars for a while until the Roman Empire came to be. So this is all squeezed in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we don't really have any of this history inside of our Bible. But some of the famous stories that come out of that, especially if, if we were from Jewish heritage or uh, lived over in Israel, we would know the name Judas Maccabeus because that time frame was actually named after him and his family, the Maccabean time period. He was a warrior. And one of the Greek rulers in that region actually... Um, got upset with the Jews. He came into Jerusalem. He desecrated the temple. He stole everything out of the temple. And then he sacrificed pigs inside of the temple. And Judas Maccabeus's father didn't find that to be something that he could put up with. And so he trained his sons. He said, it would be better for you to die in defense of our godly heritage than to let this continue. And so in the Maccabean time period, this man, Judas Maccabeus, he rose up and, and he actually tried political revolution and he conquered some of the greatest armies of that time, always outnumbered. And he was a more fierce warrior than King David. But as time went on, he did eventually die in battle and the political revolution kind of died with him. And then we have the rise of this people group that we know of, this religious sect. They're called the Pharisees. We know of them because they are actually found in the New Testament, right? They rise up, but not in political revolution because they think, man, that didn't really work. That got a bunch of us killed and that got the Romans and the Greeks. They were, they were mad at us. So maybe what we can do is we can just say, hey, we really want our religious system to work. And so let's submit to the governing authority and maybe if we hold the peace, they'll let us practice our religion. It was kind of religious pacification. That's what was happening up until the time that John the Baptist came on the scene. There was no word from the Lord. There was no prophet. There was no scripture. 
until we get to those verses that we've read. Somebody comes on the scene named John the Baptist. He goes out in the wilderness and he calls people to be baptized out there. Okay, so what am I saying? I'm saying the people of God tried this. They tried political revolution. They tried religious pacification. But it seems like what they really needed was prophetic direction. And it wasn't until prophetic direction that Jesus showed up on the scene. That's interesting to me. Because we can work to change our circumstances. We can revolt against the things that we don't think are just in our life. Or we can try to just keep the peace and end up kind of being lukewarm, letting some things slide, holding on to others that may not really matter. It wasn't until the people confessed their sins, repented, and were baptized that Jesus began to minister among them. Wow. If we desire to see Jesus and experience his miraculous presence, we must first establish a prophetic culture of confession, repentance, and surrender. When did Jesus show up on the scene? When the whole Judean countryside confessed, repented, and surrendered their life to their God through baptism. So what I realized was this. All those stories that we've read about, or if you grew up going to Sunday school, about Jesus walking into a village, healing the sick, preaching to a people who accepted his message, caring for them, providing miraculously food. All of Jesus' miracles happened in the context of a people group who had surrendered their life to the one true God. So as we become a people who confess and repent and understand what baptism means, really surrender, what are we really saying? We're saying, come Lord Jesus and have your way. When we tire of political revolution and religious pacification, we will turn our hearts to the wilderness of personal encounter. Sometimes we've got to be willing to go out to the wilderness and seek the Lord for ourselves. So let's talk about confession, repentance, and baptism. Let's talk about what it is and what it isn't. Confession. It's not a box with a priest in it. Sorry if that's in your background. That's not biblical. It's definitely church history, tradition, all of that. That's not what confession is. Confession is not the verbal release of something hidden inside you to a pious stranger in the context of anonymity. It's not. Biblically, in this in this passage, what I see is people confessing one to another in the context of their authentic community. It's not to a stranger, and it's not to just get it out and be done with it and press the reset button. It's done in the context of community. 
repentance, what it is and what it isn't. It's not saying I'm sorry. For those of you who are parents and you've had your kids try to apologize to their brother or sister after tripping them, seeing their toys or their cereal bowl go all across the room, and they're like half laughing and half saying, I'm I'm sorry, but that was awesome, (laughs) right? Sometimes, if you're like me, we can repent in private to the Lord, and it can kind of feel like that. God, I'm sorry, but that was kind of fun. And if I had the chance, maybe I'd do it all over again. It's not that. Repentance, it's a total turning. It's a changing of our mind. And it's arriving at an awareness of our need for conversion. Baptism, what it is and what it isn't. It's not a guarantee of a sinless, perfect future. If it was, we would all believe in infant baptism, right? If you became perfect after baptism, then we would all baptize our little kids right away. Absolutely. It would make parenting so much easier. But when we get baptized and come up out of the water, it doesn't guarantee a perfect future. It's just an acknowledgement of our surrender. What was John really introducing here? See, we understand baptism as a Christian ordinance. We understand it as something that's just part of our faith. But to those people, there was no such thing as baptizing the people of God. Baptism, the only reference they had for that was if someone who was not a Jew came and joined the family or the village or the town, most oftentimes as a servant, and said, I would like to worship the one true God, then they would say, okay, if you want this, you as a pagan, you as a Gentile would need to get baptized and convert to Judaism. So what is John saying? He's saying we all are in need of conversion, not into the people of God, but into the coming kingdom of heaven. If we want to see the miracles of Jesus operating in and through our lives, we must surrender to his lordship in our lives. We must be a people who confess who repent and who surrender to him no matter what it takes. You know, what we don't fully understand when we just read these stories and sometimes if we've read through these passages before, we kind of can skim over them. Our mind is somewhere else and we're just reading through line after line. What wasn't lost on the people who traveled, some of them for days, to get to where John the Baptist was preaching and baptizing people, some say near the ancient city of Jericho, in the Jordan River, those who chose to get baptized after they walked that dusty trail, confessing their sins and repenting to the Lord, they would get into that mucky river, they would get dunked by John, and they would come up and they would walk westward onto that shoreline of the very same river that their ancestors miraculously crossed with a man named Joshua 
as they entered into the promised land. See, our surrender has the ability to remind us of our exodus, our freedom, and it positions us to see anew the promises of God over our life. It didn't change their circumstances. They still lived in a Roman-ruled territory, but they were reminded that they were exactly where God wanted them to be. And as they did that, they prepared the way for the Lord in their life. Up until Matthew tells us that story, then Jesus. So do you need Jesus to show up in your life? Do you need a then Jesus miraculous moment in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, in your relationships? Then let's be people who confess and repent and surrender. I'll tell you this, confession, it's uncomfortable. But the closer we get to revival, the more comfortable we are with confession. We say, I can have revival in my life and you're saying that I gotta confess and repent. If you get desperate, you'll get to that point. And if you get to that point, the Bible promises, then Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Oh God, we love you. We praise you. And God, there's people in this room watching online today that need a then Jesus moment in their life, in their heart. God, maybe somebody's ready to give up or maybe somebody's just ready to live a lukewarm life. But God, we ask for your miraculous power to come on the scene. And God, if what you're saying is that we need to confess and repent and surrender our hearts to you, may today be the day that we start that. We surrender, we say, God, have your way and perform miracles in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Did I tell you I love that guy? I love that guy. Listen, I shared, um, I shared our story with Evan and Emily. Um, I hadn't shared it before what we've done for him. Um, I didn't do it because people thought JFC was great or Pastor John that's really awesome I did it because I felt like the Lord told me to do it and therefore we just did it I share it today though ahead of time um, because there was a I had an idea in mind so I hope when you heard me say we've continued to pay their salary and we invited them to stay in the city and we've given them all the families that wanted to go with them and we're blessing them man I hope you're sitting out there going God that's, that's pretty generous would, would you agree that's a generous thing to do in fact, I had somebody say to me, kind of over generous, huh? Um, here's my reply. How do you want God to be with you? So I want you to, I, honestly, I, I don't, it's not rhetorical. I really want you, how do you want God to be with you? Over generous? I want God to always stand like this in my life and not like this. And I think we're most like God when we do what he does with us. 
And my ability to bless this couple is only a reflection of something God's done on the inside of my heart. Chris and I wrote our check, put it in the offering, and it's earmarked for Colorado Church. Here's what I'm asking you for today. I don't want you to take your tithe and give it to Colorado Church. Your tithe, if this is your house, belongs here. This is understanding the difference between tithing and giving. I want you to give. I want you to ask what the Holy Spirit would have you do, and I want you to be generous with this couple. So maybe you think, man, I just can't do much. Give God what you have. Maybe you can do a lot. I can tell you this, this is great ground to sow seed in. It's going to bring back an awesome return. And I can't endorse anybody any higher than how I've endorsed this couple. There's nothing more I can say or do that tells you what I believe about these people. I believe the best about them, and I believe that God has called them. And folks, the kingdom of God wins today when we get it's about his kingdom and not about our kingdom. And I want to send them out blessed today. Would you pray about that? If you're not prepared to do anything today, maybe you need to pray about it. Maybe you can't do anything about it for a couple of weeks. However long you want to give to them, if you just mark it in the memo, Colorado Church, when you give it in our offering, I promise we will turn around 100% of everything that you give to them. We will give to them and make sure that they have it. You can do it for as long as you'd like to do it. Uh, and you can do it today or you can do it in the next week or the next month or whenever. Ev, I'm pretty sure you'll need money over the next several months, not just today. Is that What do you think? I think that will be, be true. <laughs> um, last thing, and then I need to let you go. When I met them, I, don't, I think 15 years ago, maybe a little longer than that. It was before you had children. I know that. Um, we were in the storefront. We were maybe in our first year, second year. And uh, I just got done teaching. And um, I, remember, I remember Evan walking up to me. I didn't know who he was. He just walked up to me. And he just said, um, I want to help you change the world. And he just put a bear hug on me and wouldn't let me go. And he never let me go. And he and Emily quite responsible they've helped build this house here so part of me feels like I want to do that for them too so here's my statement to them so I want to help you change the world now I want to cling to you and I want to stand with you I want you to know man I am so grateful for what you've done but it's not an end it really is this is the beginning and this church is better because you guys were here and are doing what you're doing. I want you to know I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. You're so brave. You really are. You're going to reap things in your life. You have no idea. You have no idea. All the hard stuff you're going to go through, the return on that, oh, man. You're going to look at me one day and go, you should have let us go sooner. I love you. I love you. As Jesus blessed this, Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to do good today. And I pray it in your name. Amen. And amen. Have an awesome weekend, man. Love you guys. Thank you for listening today.
the shores, every part of